Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Should hospital and healthcare scrubs be allowed in public? What do you think when shopping in the produce section of your favorite grocery store and someone pushes their cart right next to you? wearing hospital scrubs or doctor's office scrubs and begins squeezing the very same cantaloupe you just tested for ripeness. Do you wonder, where have those scrubs been? What kind of cross-contamination is going on between this person touching their clothes and then touching fresh produce? Would that concern even cross your mind? Well, it crosses my mind even if the person isn't wearing scrubs. But that's just me. But somehow, there's that extra scary factor when a person is wearing scrubs. Did they just get out of surgery? Did they just walk out of a nursing home? Did they just exit a dental office after cleaning and spraying and scraping teeth? Or are they just wearing scrubs because it looks impressive, and maybe they'll meet a cool guy or gal who will be impressed by someone wearing scrubs? Well, many healthcare folks will say that there's no need to panic that scrub phobia is nonsense. Well, I'm going to kindly disagree with that, because in addition to being disrespectful to others, the chances that germs from healthcare settings reside on clothing worn in healthcare settings is simply obvious. Germs live in hospitals. Germs can survive on fabric for long periods of time, up to 90 days or longer, depending upon the particular bacteria and depending upon the fabric. So we put this question out there to some folks on our contact list, and here's a few responses I thought you would enjoy. Carla in Columbus says, Cross-contamination from clothing occurs in both directions. Not only can bacteria from the hospital contaminate the public, but also the workers can contaminate ill and weak hospital patients with harmful bacteria they pick up while out in the public. And I say, exactly, Carla. I mean, come on now, basic common sense says change your clothes both ways. And if you want the public to know that you are a doctor or a nurse, wear a sign, not scrubs. Java Nurse writes, what if the scrubs are clean and the doctor or nurse is traveling directly from home to the hospital? Should they be banned from buying a cup of coffee while on their way to work? (laughs) Yes, Java Nurse, they should use the drive-thru window. Personally, I am in favor of dedicated clothing, street clothes for outside of work and scrubs for inside of work. I mean, why risk one person getting ill from your clothing? Susie from New York says, some administrative staff members wear scrubs with no patient contact. Why should we be banned from public places? 
Well, I say, why would anyone want to wear scrubs if they had no likelihood of coming in contact with patient germs, blood, or chemicals? Hospital scrubs are a dangerous fashion statement. Susie, we are banning you for having no fashion sense. Larry McGarry writes, Pat, there's no evidence to show that wearing scrubs in public places transmits any disease. Hospitals have an open-door policy. Anyone can come in and out carrying all sorts of bacteria. Do we stop them? Many people have hidden infections, such as MRSA, and have the ability to infect everyone. Let's do a study. Compare my scrubs to the sandwich shop's front door handle. Maybe that will stop all of this nonsense. Let's just hope that this line of thinking isn't contagious, too. Oh, my. Larry sounds a bit angry. But I have read many articles and studies about this, both pro and con. But to me, I want to err on the side of caution. I mean, it's not like I'm suggesting anything that requires training or it's time-consuming or expensive or exhausting. Simply change your clothes. If it keeps one person from acquiring a community-associated infection or a hospital-acquired infection, well, then it's hopefully worth your time to take the precaution. Larry McGarry, you need some laundry therapy. And to round this out from an article in the Wall Street Journal written by Betsy McAfee, former lieutenant governor of New York State and now the chair of the Committee to Reduce Infection Deaths, and I quote, Dirty scrubs spread bacteria to patients in the hospital and allow hospital superbugs to escape into public places such as restaurants. Some hospitals now prohibit wearing scrubs outside the building, partly in response to the rapid increase in the infection called C. diff. A national hospital survey warns that C. diff infections are sickening nearly half a million people a year in the United States, more than six times previous estimates. And the problem is that some medical personnel wear the same unlaundered uniforms to work day after day. They start their shift already carrying germs such as C. diff and other drug-resistant staff like MRSA. Doctors' lab coats are probably the dirtiest. At the University of Maryland, 65% of medical personnel confess they change their lab coat less than once a week, though they know it's contaminated. 15% admit they change it less than once a month. Superbugs, such as staff, can live on these polyester coats for many, many days, up to 90 days. Outside the hospital, C. diff is also difficult to control, and it's not killed by laundry detergents or most cleaners. Researchers at Case Western Reserve and the Cleveland Veterans Administration Medical Center found that even after routine cleaning, 78% of surfaces still had C. diff. Only scrubbing with bleach removed it. And that's not the kind of cleaning restaurants are prepared to do after serving hospital workers. I mean, imagine sliding into a restaurant booth after a nurse has left the germ on the table or seat. You could easily pick it up on your hands and then swallow it with your sandwich. Hospitals should provide workers with clean uniforms and prohibit wearing them in public, end of quote. And I say, think about restaurants and think about how <laughs> all you have to do is sit there and watch somebody cleaning the table with the dirty rag they've used all day, and they go from table to table to table, basically spreading the bacteria from seat to seat and table to table. All right, here's another one. John from I Met You at Best Buy asks, Pat, are you a germaphobe? 
No, John, I don't think so, but thanks for asking. I'm just concerned about infection control and the very real ability for bacteria to compromise the health of the general public. MJ33 writes, I'm more concerned about what a scrub wearer might pick up from the public rather than what he or she might leave behind. And I say, yes, MJ, cross-contamination works both ways. How dangerous is it to bring germs from the public back into hospitals via dirty scrubs? And yes, some of you will say, think of the thousands of visitors who enter the hospital with dirty hands and unwashed clothes. Well, maybe we should ban visitors too while we're at it. I mean, actually, I was shocked when my mom was in intensive care, as on many occasions, lawyers in suits totally unrelated to any of the patients were allowed to roam in and out of cubicles looking for lawsuits and spreading germs. I'm still shaking my head at that one. And here's one more. Sunshine Laura wrote, Starting a dialogue such as this at least gets people to think. Ah, thank you, Sunshine. Whether you agree with me or not, I am getting you to examine the topic and perhaps reevaluate your thoughts because thinking is always a good thing. Then someone sent me a link to a website called Pathophys, so sick it's hip. A critical care nurse went to buy scrubs and found them so boring that he designed his own, creating fabric based on actual pictures of germs, bacteria, and pathogens like E. coli, botulism, and candida yeast. I guess if the scrubs are going to be covered with hidden bacteria, might as well make a joke out of it. In fact, to promote the scrubs on his website, he said, looking for that toxically cool gift to die for? <laughs> I say there's always some truth in humor, right? Well, the website also had a bit of history of scrubs. Kind of interesting. Here's what it had to say. Our research team reveals early surgeons and healthcare professionals didn't need scrubs. Heck, they didn't even need a clean scalpel or bed sheet because germs, after all, spontaneously generated. A butcher's apron usually did the trick of covering up the doc's three-piece suit. And the more pathogens the apron sported, the busier he obviously was. The patient mortality rate was high, but the surgeon's suit usually stayed nice and clean. After World War I, healthcare professionals discovered that the dirtier the operating room, the deader the patients. Operating in the trenches, literally, led scientists to believe that maybe dirt in a wound wasn't such a good thing. So sanitation became the rule in the operating room. And by the end of World War II, antiseptic drapes or scrubs were designed to protect the patient from the medical personnel. These original scrubs were white to emphasize the cleanliness of surgeons and staff. However, it was hard to look clean when the white scrubs were dotted with blood. And further, white scrubs reflected operating room lights and made for a blinding backdrop for the surgeon, leading to needless eye strain or mistakes. Hospitals began to switch from white to green because as research proved, green is less reflective and blood against a green palette virtually disappears. Over the next 30 years, hospital scrubs evolved into what we see today, a unisex short sleeve shirt and drawstring pants. Most were still green, 
Some hospitals color-coded according to department, and eventually nurses on hospital floors or affiliated with private practices were given the freedom to choose their own scrub designs. And scrub manufacturers responded by saturating the market with images of cartoon bears, purple pansies, and other abominations. There you go, a little bit of history. Well, just to round this conversation out, the Committee to Reduce Infection Deaths says that one-third of medical professionals do not wash their uniforms before wearing them to work and that they begin their shifts already contaminated with pathogenic microorganisms such as drug-resistant enterococcus, staphylococcus, or C. diff. At the University of Maryland, 65% of medical personnel confess they change their lab coat less than once a week even though they know it's contaminated. I mentioned that before. Nurses and nursing students pose additional risks. Often, nursing students own only one uniform because they can't afford to buy more. Nursing students will tell you that they take the bus or subway to the hospital to do a clinical rotation, bathe patients, take vital signs, and so on. Then wear their uniform out of the hospital into restaurants, home, and back to the hospital again later in the week. Hospitals will say that dangerous germs aren't being carried on medical uniforms because doctors and nurses are required to gown up before seeing patients with these germs. But compliance in gowning is poor. In addition, most patients carrying MRSA and other superbugs are not in isolation. Now, I personally spent 10 years with my mom during her health care journey. Hospital intensive care, rehab, doctor's offices, and let me tell you, the breaches in protocol were astounding. What providers are supposed to do and what actually happens are often at opposite ends of the rainbow. So, my personal bottom line is this. Bacterial movement is a complicated process, and bacteria move freely and can survive on fabric. Why are we willing to risk public health or the health of hospital patients by not being cognizant of all the possible avenues of transmission? Scrubs outside of the hospital? I say no. No, 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 no. What do you think? Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. Superbugs like MRSA live in hospitals and they infect thousands of patients. Stay safe with Hospital Helper Organic Essential Oil Spray. Headaches, nerve pain, anxiety, can't sleep? We've got solutions. Visit the shop page at speakupandstayalive.com. Patient safety is your right, so don't go wrong. Visit the shop page at speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. Hi there, I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, the host of Mrs. Green's World, and I would really love for you to become a part of that world. We talk about things like the faceless villain of climate change, our compromised food supply, and about how to become a conscious consumer. But it's not all bad news. We educate, we inspire, we engage. We always leave you with some small steps you can take to make a difference for this great planet of ours and help you live the healthy life you deserve. Please visit MrsGreensWorld.com to learn more and become a part of our world.
And now for today's infection prevention tip. Just last week, I received voicemail from a wonderful woman who has listened to this program for years. She expressed her concern about an upcoming dental appointment for a procedure in which she felt discomfort because the assistant had long fake fingernails and cross-contamination is obviously a possibility. It made me think back to a particular hospital stay my mom had one time when the nurse came to her room to draw blood. Her fingernails were so long and obviously not real and covered with sparkles and fake jewels, each nail a different color. They hooked at the ends like one of those carnival claws that attempts to grab the stuffed toy. You know what I mean. Well, anyway, it took her three tries to even put the gloves on. As I watched, I realized that my jaw was dropping lower and lower. As I scooped it up from the contaminated floor, I blurted out, aren't those nails against any kind of protocol? She looked at me as if I were a monkey. What? I said, aren't you going to poke holes in the gloves with those nails? Oh, no, she said, I've learned how to work around them. Work around them? Do you believe it? Well, anyway, I asked kindly, but obviously miffed, would you please send someone else in here to draw my mom's blood? Again, she looked at me as if I were a monkey, threw the three glove attempts into the garbage and fetched another short-nailed nurse. So, I am on the same page as the listener who has a concern about her upcoming dental appointment. And this prompted the researcher in me to do some investigating, and here's the scoop. Keeping your nails short is not mandated by the CDC, Centers for Disease Control. However, most of the flora found on hands is concentrated around or under the fingernails. So accordingly, the CDC recommends that dental hygienists keep their nails short enough to enable them to clean underneath them easily. You should also keep your nails short because long nails can make it difficult to put on gloves and can compromise their integrity, potentially leading to tears, which is what I figured out during my mom's day. Micro tears, tiny little tears in the clinician's gloves caused by long fingernails are so small, they may not even be apparent via visual inspection. Now, fewer studies have been conducted on the risks of wearing artificial nails in the dentistry profession. However, artificial nails have been linked to numerous outbreaks of bacterial and fungal infections in hospital settings. Additionally, researchers have found that artificial nail wearers have higher levels of gram-negative bacteria than non-wearers even after washing their hands. So for these reasons, I believe it's wise to refrain from wearing artificial nails in any type of healthcare setting, including dental offices. In addition to maintaining short nails and avoiding artificial nails, dental hygienists should avoid wearing nail polish. Actually, any clinician should avoid wearing nail polish. While freshly applied nail polish on short nails is not linked to increased bacteria around the fingernail area, chipped nail polish can harbor bacteria. And since there is no way to prevent nail polish from chipping, the CDC strongly recommends keeping your nails short and free of polish. 
Now, here's my source, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, an article entitled Infection Prevention Checklist for Dental Setting, Basic Expectations for Safe Care. And they state, quote, germs can live under artificial fingernails both before and after using an alcohol-based sanitizer and hand washing. They say it is recommended that healthcare providers do not wear artificial fingernails or extensions when having direct contact with patients, and they say at high risk, such as those in intensive care units or operating rooms. I'm going to beg to differ who really knows who is a high risk, who knows what somebody's immune system is like. Number three, they say, keep natural nail tips less than a quarter inch long. They say some studies have shown that skin underneath rings contain more germs than comparable areas of skin on fingers without rings. So there you go about that. Well, couple that with a few more facts. In general, adherence of healthcare workers to recommended hand hygiene procedures has been poor with an overall adherence rate of about 40%. So they're saying about 40% of healthcare workers are washing their hands properly. Well, that leaves 60% who are not. And the long fingernails just compound that situation. I highly doubt that the 40% who are washing their hands properly are those with long fingernails. So there you have that. Now here's an article in Dentistry IQ written by Tia Hunter, a member of the American Dental Assistance Association, where she holds the honor of master and sits on three national councils. She has an article titled Mythbusters for Dental Assistance, Acrylic or Gel Fingernails at Work. There are many myths that surround dental assistants, and this dental assistant wants to set the record straight on many of them. She had a question. I can wear acrylic nails or even gel nails. Sometimes I like to get the little jewels put on them too. I wear gloves, so it's perfectly fine, right? Tia says, wrong. Keeping natural nails trimmed and groomed is essential because, number one, the majority of microorganisms on the hands are found under and around the fingernails, and two, sharp nail edges or broken nails are likely to interfere with glove fit and glove integrity, which increases glove failure. The debate I often hear in dental offices is that gel nails are not artificial because they aren't tips and they don't extend the nail bed. However, it's the nail bed that has something artificial laying on it, and that is a concern. Now, even though you may be using your natural nail bed for the base of the gel, the concern is that the gel can become separated from the nail bed, making it possible for bacteria to become lodged between the gel and the nail bed itself. And when this happens, it is a breeding ground for growth and infection. Now, before you say, I've always had long nails at every office where I've worked, and it's no big deal. Well, it's actually a big deal for a couple of reasons. If you've been watching the news lately, you've probably noticed that there were three dental offices in Pennsylvania that were shut down by the local health department. Yes, your local health department can come into your dental office just like they go into local restaurants and shut down the office for unsafe practices. This then leads to a visit from the state dental board, which will be following up on the reason the health department visited you in the first place. Then. 
OSHA will have its ears open, and if they receive word that things are not right in the practice, the organization might step in to find out what else is going on. Keep in mind that accidents are not planned, they just happen. So, say you have some artificial nails on, they become infected, and you don't notice right away because you have on polish. By the time you do notice, it's too late. You have a full-blown infection. How deep and how far does that infection go? Is it worth it? And if your boss allows you to get away with something, it simply means your boss isn't following the rules either. Two wrongs do not make a right. Unquote. So, what do you do when you're sitting there in the dental chair awaiting a root canal, a tooth extraction, or even a simple cleaning, and you're approached by ten long claws bedazzled with gems and stars and crystals on a bed of bright blue? You speak up. That's what you do. I'm sorry. I'm concerned about the potential to get an infection from your long fingernails. I'd like another technician with short nails to work on me. And if they don't like that, too bad. You only have one chance to save yourself from an infection. And if the person is rude or refuses, get up and run. Or blame me. Tell them, you know, I just heard a radio program that addressed the CDC guidelines when it comes to fake fingernails in a healthcare setting. I don't feel comfortable having your hands in my mouth. Or heck, have them call me. 440-725-5462. 440-725-5462. And I will talk to them for you. Here's what I have to say. Infection control is right at your fingertips. Literally. If you want to put patients at risk because of your desire to make a statement with fake nails, Please, find another job. Sound harsh? The consequences are. Remember, you have to speak up and stay alive. Well, there you have it. Our first show of the year. The first show of many. So I hope you continue to tune in each week, Saturdays at 8.30 in the morning on WHKW, AM 1220, The Word, and again on Sunday afternoons at 2.30 on WHK, AM 1420, The Answer. And if you're concerned about any kind of healthcare-acquired infections, you've got to get my new book. It's called Healthcare-Acquired Infections, The Troublemakers and How to Avoid Them. It's only $10 at the website, and it's a concise little handy book to have so that you can recognize what the infections are and what you can do about them and questions to ask your physician. You can get it at the website, speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. Or call me, 440-725-5462. All right, we're heading out, but please come back next week. Same time, same place, but never the same information. Until then, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week, free from scrubs in the produce department and fake fingernails. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice and patient safety. The information provided in today's broadcast is for informational purposes only and was not intended for use as diagnosis or treatment of a health problem and should not be considered as medical advice. 
If you've missed part of today's show or just want to share the information with friends, you can listen to all of Pat's previous shows at speakupandstayalive.com. Want even more information? Purchase a copy of Pat's book at speakupandstayalive.com. Once again, it's speakupandstayalive.com. Or you can call Pat at 440-725-5462. Until next week, remember, it's okay to ask others to wash their hands. You have to speak up and stay alive.